Hi, welcome to the Reference Counting Podcast. I'm Taylor Hutcherson, joined by my co-host Andy Collins. Hello. And uh, before we get started today, I do want to remind the listeners that we have a Twitter and a Gmail, um, and we would love for you to write us uh, either your opinions, your your scorn, uh, comments, or questions that you would like us to to take up on the show. Um, so our Twitter is Ref Count Podcast. And our email is refcountpodcast at gmail.com. So please write to us. We'd love to hear from you. So, Taylor. Yes. I feel like uh, in our last episode, didn't we say we were going to do something? Well, I think we make that promise. (laughs) We've made that promise a few times. Um, But I do vaguely recall that we said we would come back to a topic. Um, In the last episode, what, what were we even talking about? It might be nice if if those listeners who are writing in, maybe somebody could could um, compile a list of all the things we're supposed to talk about. Yeah, that'd be helpful. Yeah, we need a show a show producer, don't we? We need you know, we're just the talent. We're just the the, the talking heads here. Yeah, but, we can't be expected to keep up with these things. Right. Yeah. Once once the show ends, we sort of I just I honestly just blank out. Um, so. Yeah, we'll we'll work on that. But I do, uh, I do actually remember what we said we were going to talk about this time. And last time, as I recall, we talked about some of the some of the bad parts, the negative parts of C sharp, and that sort of led us a few different places as it was wont to do. And we talked a little bit about .NET and Visual Studio and all that. Uh, and then we felt a little guilty about it, as I recall, and we said maybe we should <laughs> have an episode about the good things about C sharp. Yeah. So maybe you can come up with some of those. Yeah, I think we wrapped, uh, or at least I remember wrapping um, all of those negative things about C-Sharp in the caveat that I absolutely love C-Sharp and have the utmost respect for its creators. <laughs> so I'm definitely coming at this from a biased angle. Uh, but yeah, let, let's let's dive into, uh, first off, the background that we have. I think we've mentioned this a couple times, but like I am a professional C-Sharp developer, uh, you have lots of professional C-sharp experience, and you, you also teach it to other people. So both of us are, are deeply involved with .NET and C-sharp and that, that whole ecosystem. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I have been writing C-sharp since 2003. Not There have been a couple of gaps here and there, but um, mostly uh, most of my jobs since 2003 have been writing C-sharp. So I've done quite yeah. a bit of it over the years. I'm a I'm a bit of a latecomer. I I had a little bit of a distaste for Microsoft uh, during that time period, and I was off doing other things like PHP. Um, but I've since come to my senses, and um, I think I've been writing C sharp since 2011. I want to say, oh gosh, I should probably have gone and looked at this, but um, I really want to say I remember .NET 3.5. Do you know what? Do you happen to know what year that was? That was earlier. I think that was like 2007, 2008. Around okay. when, that was when Link came out, as I recall, to that 3.5. Yeah. So it was before 4.0. So, so I jumped in somewhere in there between 3.5 and 4 um, and have been along for the ride ever since. Um, yeah. So let's, let's just dive right into it. Like, Tell me something you love about C Sharp or or .NET. I think we'll keep it kind of uh, broad. Yeah. So I've got one of the things I really like about the .NET world is something that I need you to help me figure out how to talk about. And okay. that is uh, the, the library itself. So I hear some people mm. use the term BCL for base class library. Then I hear people talk about like .NET itself or maybe the, mm. the framework, but that doesn't make any sense. Maybe the runtime, but that's not what I'm talking about either. Like, what am I talking yeah. about when I'm talking about all the classes that you get? The standard library. The standard is what you would library. Call it. It, I mean, that's what you would call it in like C, I guess, but I don't know if I've ever yeah. heard anybody call it that. <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, that's true. I mean, when I think of C++, I think of like the standard library, the standards committee that's creating these libraries. But yeah, that's right. You never hear anyone say the standard library. Um, but that's uh, what I think of 
that's that's one of the major pillars of .NET, right? You have the runtime and the base class library. But the only people I hear refer to to it as the BCL are actual Microsoft employees. So maybe that's an indicator that we just don't have good words uh, for what this stuff is that are going around in the community, you know, for the common programmer. Well, yes, and I, I would call it the standard library. I think standard. I like standard library actually. I think base class library is not quite right because maybe in the very early days of C sharp and of .NET, we we were still in this world of software where inheritance seemed like a really good idea. So thinking about mm. a base mm. to build off of was really like a base class that you're going to inherit from. But that's not really what it is now. I mean, certainly there's quite a bit of things to inherit from in a lot of the frameworks. You know, ASP.NET is a good example. There's 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 really use, good uses of inheritance going on there, I would say. But, you know, there's tons of stuff. Like all the, I don't know, uh, before we started recording, we were talking about um, the JSON parsing library. I mean, you're not doing any inheritance there, at least not that I've ever done. But it's something, it's useful. It's in the box, in the tin mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's really the reason that I want to call it out as something I really like. Um, is that there is a lot of good stuff in there. Um, there, I mean, more than I've ever touched, you know, because in, depending on your domain, there's all kinds of things you might you might find useful. You know, we I don't think a show goes by that we don't talk about Python a little bit, but one of Python's selling points is that the batteries are included. All the stuff is there. And there is a lot of stuff. And, and you can, might could argue that, some of the things in Python, it'd be nice if they were in the standard library of .NET, but there's a ton of stuff in there. The batteries are not all included, but they're, they're, there's a lot of good stuff there, and I think that's one of the, the greatest selling points of C Sharp. Yeah, I wonder if that, that naming convention or, or some of those early decisions about how it was named and, and kind of positioned was to, to compete with Java and what what was going on at the time in the, the very early two thousands. Um, I'm just not very familiar with Java, but yeah, I think you're totally right. Like at that time, everyone was heavy on inheritance. I think we've come to our senses, you know, and found a place for inheritance. Um, but, but yeah, your overall point about the base class library, I feel like, um, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's at least 60% of what I want to do. I can just find, you know, already included with, well, I guess it's not so much included anymore in the sense of um, it's already on my machine, but I can easily get it and it's maintained by Microsoft um, because everything's in different packages now. But with at least the, the .NET framework, it was all right there, ready to go. Now it's just a one extra reach away. Um that, to get, yeah, but. and that's an interesting distinction, and that's maybe the thing where it's different than the Python batteries included. But I think I, I like the way that .NET does it. It's like here are these fairly large libraries um, or NuGet packages or whatever that you can pull in a, some good functionality with. I, I think you get a lot out of the box, but you know mm-hmm. they they they. They balance that, you know, size of and all that uh, with um, with functionality. And you, if you're building a web app, then you're going to go get these things. And if you need an entity framework, you'll get that. But if you don't need it, you don't have to use it. That sort of thing. I mean, yeah. I think they, as I recall, with .NET Core, the early days of .NET Core, they sort of swung too far in the Node.js direction, in my opinion, where everything was tiny individual packages. Mm-hmm. And then they created those meta packages or whatever those things were. Right. Yeah. And then they backed away from that. <laughs> so they, they, you know, they were sort of correcting. I think they, they went, they overcorrected towards smaller packages and to have separate, you know, chunks. And now I think they've got a pretty good sweet spot, at least for the things that I use. You know, I, yeah. When I build, if I build a, um, an ASP.NET core application, you know, I don't really need, I don't know, four lines in my CSProj file maybe for package references mm-hmm. for Microsoft stuff, for building a relatively straightforward or simple app. Right, yeah. If you're just building a simple API, um, you really don't need too much at all. Um, you know, just the standard connect to some SQL Server database, offer up some HTTP API, 
Um, yeah, almost everything you, you need is right there or, or just one package away from, from working. Um, no, that's not to say that like, there's not a, just a wealth of libraries out there to do those things. Like if you needed to connect to an LDAP server or, or something like that, um, or interact with some, some other type of protocol, uh, like gRPC or something like that. Although that might even be, um, almost standardized now uh, by Microsoft, but yeah, it, it's all sort of right there. And so I think that's like one of the biggest strengths of C sharp, especially when you think about who are the, who are the main users of C sharp. And to me, uh, I'm thinking, you know, enterprise, you know, big, large corporations that they don't want to be stitching together software from some someone that they don't know or don't trust or that hasn't been updated in a long time. It feels like Microsoft is pretty well positioned in that space. Yeah, I think that's I think that makes a lot of sense too. And all those packages and the ones that well, the things you can get, say maybe on nougat.org, I imagine most of these are, but certainly the Microsoft packages these days are also open source. Mm-hmm. which is another bullet, I think, on my list of things that I really appreciate about C-sharp. And it's, it's one of those things that I think, you know, Microsoft has this sort of long history, very long history of being anti-closed source or anti-open source, of so being all closed source proprietary. Um, and it's still surprising to people. And it's actually, at this point, it's surprising to me that it's surprising to other people that, um, that C-sharp and .NET it's right now is all open source. It's all out there. They, they do, you know, you can make a case like did the, how much do they accept from the community? And the answer is they accept some things from the community, but, mm-hmm. and so they're not, you know, completely closed off. They're probably the vast majority are actually worked on by Microsoft, but they're actually working in the open. So you can go to GitHub yeah. and read all their plans and the issues and things. And I'm really impressed with that. Um, with that turn that they've made and yeah but it's 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 almost um it's worth mentioning i think that it's not just like the commits and the issues that are out in the open they live stream their their committee meetings about what they think the language design and the and the library the base class library should um should include in it It, it's truly incredible the, the things that they're doing and how open this process is beyond just the code so I think I agree. I think that's that's a huge important thing in in C sharp. I was actually working with my uh, teaching assistant today, and he we were talking about some ADO.net stuff. So I was talking about um, the command class SQL command and the SQL data reader and those things, and we were talking about like how what happens if you don't like close the data reader and you close the command, does that somehow automatically close the data reader? And I'm like, well, I don't know. And so we literally went to GitHub and started looking around mm-hmm. and we found that it doesn't. Uh, so we could, it was a little bit harder to, you know, it's a little bit harder to prove the negative there, but we sort of looked around and we found that it doesn't. So yeah, we probably need to continue to dispose or close that data reader too. Um, mm-hmm. But that was just really cool to say, like, I don't know the answer. Let's go look at the code. Yeah. That was a super powerful experience. That's very cool. I've done that a couple of times myself, and it's just astounding. And it's it's fun, um, you know, to kind of see what's going on behind the scenes. Stuff that that used to be uh, a veiled mystery. And at my last job, um, we had ReSharper. And one of the features that ReSharper had was it would actually go and download the source code. So you could hit F12 and go and see the actual source of some of the, the standard library stuff instead of just seeing kind of the, the metadata about it, like you like out of, out of the box in visual studio. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, we did that. We, we spent probably, it's kind of funny because you might make the case that it's possible that if we hadn't had that tool, we wouldn't have spent that much time worrying about it and we would have got more work done. But we ended up answering some questions that we had and making some decisions based upon looking at the source code. And so in the end, I think it was more helpful than not. But whether it was helpful or not, it was cool. And I 
really think that cool things are fun and I like fun things. So there you go. <laughs> um, so that that's one bucket of things about that, that we like about C sharp. I think, you know, it's, it's got a thriving, um, benevolent dictator of a, um, developer behind it. Um, and I think you and I have talked about the benevolent dictator model before and how that's probably, a, a um, the best you can hope for, for this type of thing that that's this large, that's depended on by this many people. So that's one category of things we like, but another part that I'd like to focus on for a little bit is just the language itself. Like what, what, uh, features of the language or, you know, actually, um, developing in C sharp. Do you like, so I don't know if this is controversial. Maybe it probably isn't, but maybe it is for some people. I like the C style syntax. Yeah. I like my curly braces. Um, I, you know, I kind of like to kid around with my students about semicolons quite a bit. Uh, cause mm-hmm. they come from JavaScript and some of the instructors that teach JavaScript don't do semicolons and some do it's a whole thing. So it's kind of a fun game. I don't mind semicolons. I actually am not great at one way or the other. They're fine, but I really like, um, I really like that closing curly brace to really give me that clue, that visual indicator that this is done. And I like, but the other thing I like about the C style syntax is just, it's, it's of a, of a, of a type, you know, it's something that you can, you can go look at other languages and any Mm -hmm. languages that are of that family. And you don't have to worry about what's going on syntactically. You can just skip right over that and move on to semantics and whatever else. Uh, and yeah. I think that's the right choice for a programming language. Now, yeah, there are other for families. The most part, sorry. Um, yeah, for the most part, like 90% of the syntax is similar. There are some operators in C++ that like uh, give me a bit of a headache. Uh, but yeah, it is very similar. It's nice to be able to kind of transition and say um, you, you can kind of understand what's going on because of that um, lineage. Well, and even if you look at, say, Java, which is, you know, pretty obvious, or if you look at C++ or C, there's quite a bit that carries over. I think some of the pointer stuff that you're dealing with in C, you know, mm-hmm. most C-sharp programmers aren't doing that kind of unsafe code, so that might be unfamiliar, but but it's still mostly there. Even if you look at PHP, I mean, you can read PHP because it's got that C-style syntax. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I don't know. Well, even Go and Rust, um, there's... There's that that lineage there. There's definitely some some different things, but uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that about the the sort of family of languages. Um, I think you could maybe if we kept talking about this, we'd arrive on some negative parts of that. But uh, overall, I think it's a positive, uh, at least for me, because that's where I started. Right, like C and C plus plus was the thing that that sort of got me into programming, and so when I finally. Um, settled down and <laughs> came around to uh, C sharp, it was like, Oh yeah, this is actually familiar. I don't know why I was against this. This is a very nice language. Well, and that's, and I think that's probably the reason why I, I like it too, to be honest. But I think that's a super common story. I don't, you know, this is not, we're not weirdos that way. A lot, most people are coming to programming or at least a lot of people are coming to programming from some similar language. So sticking with that, I think is the right, is a good move to make it mm-hmm. easy to approach. Which is sort of interesting, actually, to come, come to think of it, because a lot of a lot of Microsoft people, I think we talked about this last time, this idea that that the audience, the original audience for C Sharp were C plus plus programmers on one side and Visual Basic programmers on the other, and I, I remember those debates in the early two thousands, like the VB.net people, like we don't want this syntax. This is the opposite of what we're used to, and so mm-hmm. they they definitely had it from the other side. They 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 understood Visual Basic or the basic style syntax, and they wanted that family to, to of language to live on. Um, but they they lost. <laughs> I I feel bad for VB.net programmers um, sometimes. <laughs> I just think that that too many people consider that language to be in um, unfairly. They think of it as an, an unserious language or not a language where you're going to get a lot of work done or do important things. And that's just not the case, but. Oh no, it's not the case at all. Um, 
but yeah, it, I just think there's that perception out there for whatever reason. Yeah, I think there is too. And I, and I think that's a lot of why C sharp one, C sharp one, the sort of, and I don't know if it was intentional on anybody's part, but it's almost like the, the sort of guerrilla marketing campaign. There were, you know, you're at mm. C sharp is the serious language and maybe it is, maybe it is syntax. Like maybe it's the C plus plus people or like, this is like what we do and we do real programming and your BB people are just writing, you know, pictures and buttons and stuff and all that. Right. I don't know. I don't think that's fair, but that might be kind of how, where it came from. Who knows? What else is on your list of, of likes for C sharp? Um, if you want to talk about language things, yeah, I'll stay on the language topic for a second. Uh, I worked in C Sharp for a very short period of time before there were generics. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I can, it was just a, I don't even remember, maybe months it might have been before C Sharp 2 came out that I worked in C Sharp. And, and not having generics is really terrible. So I'm going to say, I'm going to add generics to the list of things that I like about um, C-sharp. That one is, you know, I almost didn't put it on the list because I think it's almost standard for any language that is, you know, the compiler, a statically typed language at least. But it's, it's a powerful thing. The ability to make some generic class that will handle lots of different situations and to not have to do like unsafe casting all over the place, have the compiler check things for you. Like, yeah. So do you use generics a lot like um, in the sense of, I, oh, I think we all use like the, the generic collections that are, again, part of the, the BCL. But um, are you out there creating your own classes uh, with the, the take a generic, uh, your own methods that take a generic? Is that a very common pattern for you? Um. And so this is where I have to kind of go back in time and remember myself when I was writing code more often than I do today. Or even just the, how, what you instruct your students on, uh, you know, oh, that, just curious. Well, we can talk about that. Like we, we actually sort of go back and forth on talking about generics or not. Uh, we sort of settled at this point on, we, we don't really explicitly talk about generics because it's, it's a heady concept and mm-hmm. when when the concept of a type itself, like a, just a more a simple type, isn't is blowing people's minds, throwing a generic on top of that is just kind of cruel. So we sort of stop doing that. <laughs> of course, we do use the collections um, list and dictionary and I enumerable specifically. Mm-hmm. The, those three are the ones that we really expose the students to. Um, but it, it's from a use standpoint, it's really easy to just kind of gloss over what's really happening. You know, you can say, well, it's a list that can contain strings or whatever. Like, okay, you don't have, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to think about what's going on behind the scenes. Um, we do in some of the projects, I think currently in one of the projects, at least we have a, a generic that we just kind of slip in there for the more advanced students to ask about, mm-hmm. um, but I, th- I think my experience, you know, my experience in before I worked uh, as an instructor, I-, I can't say I wrote that many generic classes. It, I'm trying. I'm trying to think back. I, I know I have, um, and I know I've, I've appreciated the ability when I had it, when I needed it. Um, but but largely, it is using it as part of that standard library that I find to be useful. And, and I remember using array lists in the old days and thinking you know, like having to cast and feeling bad, like, and it was kind of funny because I came before I worked in the C sharp shop. We did Java for a while before that, but before that I was doing Perl. And so like this whole business of having to cast things was just ridiculous to me. I just wanted, all I really needed was some arrays and some hashes and <laughs> hash tables and I'd be fine really. Um, and so I, I remember that really left a bad taste in my mouth. And then when generics came along, I'm like, this is just really refreshing. And I guess I still remember it all like nearly 20 years later as something that, that I appreciated. Yeah. I personally uh, love generics. And I think I, I've mentioned this before, but I wish they were a little bit more 
powerful, or I guess maybe I wish I had a little bit more flexibility in terms of what constraints I can put on a generic. Um, I, I would like to see some improvements around that. Uh, but yeah, I think that is a huge feature. I, I probably overuse them. Um, I'm trying to, to reduce the amount that I use. I think I, I maybe need to recognize more often that, you know, the, the Yagni principle that I'm not going to need that. I don't necessarily need, um, maybe, maybe I'm introducing a generic parameter when there's only going to be one type, um, that ever applies to the situation. So I don't need to go ahead and make that a generic, uh, but yeah, I think that's a really great feature. And do, do you happen to know the story of, of why they weren't in one where they intended to be in version one and just they weren't ready yet, so they made it to version two? Or was it just like a realization that, hey, we really need generics? I don't know the story, but I do recall that it was around the same time that Java was adding generics too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was kind of just in the air around that time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I think that people had a really bad taste from C++ templates and the complexity of those things. And so, you know, one of the Java things was about Java was essentially the selling point of it or one of the selling points of it was we're going to do C++, but sanely. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they cut out a bunch of stuff, basically. Right. And, and, And generics was one of those. And then they realized, well, maybe that was a mistake. And I think, you know, C, as I recall, C Sharp got them before Java, maybe right, right before, but I might be wrong about that. Um, so I just think it was in the, in the air at that time. But I'm sure there were much more deep conversations going on that I was uh, unaware of in my young days of just sort of trying to, trying to keep my head above water, writing code. <laughs> right. Just trying to get paid. Um, so one language feature that I have seen uh, really come back, uh, I think it was really cast aside for many years, and now I'm seeing a lot of people sort of like, oh, well, why, why haven't we been using this um, to begin with, which is the, uh, the switch expressions. And, and I guess to, to combine that uh, with pattern matching, which is a feature I think we got in a little bit in 7, 8, and 9. Uh, they've been adding things to that. Could be wrong about the version there, but um, yeah. What well, are you a, a fan of switch statements? Were you ever um, doubtful <laughs> of their usefulness, or, or what's your well, opinion switch there? statements or switch expressions? Sorry, switch expressions. Yeah. Now, I guess switch statements uh, more generally um, from version one. So, I think I ended up using switch statements you know some of the time basically what that what it ended up looking like a lot in my switch statement world was um making us a, a, a method that's only job was that you know contain the switch statement so you could return from in there so mm-hmm. honestly to be honest it's really like trying to make it more like an expression mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah um and when switch expressions came along I was a little bit, to uh, to be honest, I was a little bit sad at the syntax, you know, just kind of moving things around a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I, I get it. I get that they they don't want to add more keywords to the language. And there's a lot, I mean, that not just that they don't want to, but there are some real technical problems there, potentially breaking existing code and all that. So I think it's fine. Um, I, I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm generally a big fan of that sort of, match approach that you see in more functional languages. So F sharp has a match keyword and like rust has a match keyword. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that style, which goes a lot, which kind of more implies, I guess the pattern matching that those languages do, which is similar to what C sharp is doing too. Um, one of the things that I find to be sort of interesting about switch expressions in C sharp though, is there's quite a lot of, there's a lot of examples at least where, where, they demonstrate switching on types. So like kind of switching on subtypes mm-hmm. and that feels like a very functional thing to me, you know, from a, from maybe like a, um, a discriminated union in F sharp or one of those fancy enums that they have in rust or Swift or something like that, where you can have a value associated with the enum. And that, that is a, the kind of thing that you do a lot in those languages. You have, 
you know, you, you model data with, um, what are, what's the technical term for that? A product type or some type. I always get those mixed up. A some type um, that has, you know, maybe you have the, the option is the good, is the kind of maybe one of the default examples. So the uh, an idea of an option is it can either be some and that some type has a value associated with it or it could be none and the none type has no value associated with it. And you can, there are also types called either. So maybe it's this left or right kind of thing. Like maybe it's left and it has a value. It's a right, it has a value associated with it. Um, you know, talking about code on audio is hard, but. <laughs> so matching on something like that in a functional language makes a lot of sense because those sort of some types or those uh, discriminating unions or whatever enum types are, are really powerful. But in C sharp, at least right now, and who knows what the future holds, but right now you have to build kind of a class hierarchy to do that. And so one of the really cool things about the switch expression and the matching on types sort of, I think, falls a little flat because people aren't always building those more kind of discriminated union-like class hierarchies. And maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's changing with switch expressions, and I've just like kind of been had my head in the sand. But that does no, that feels a little uh, bit different to me. Not quite idiomatic. Yeah. I, <clears throat> so I think that the concept is very cool, and I would really like professionally some more excuses to use that pattern and, and pattern matching in general. It's just not a thing that I find myself needing in the kinds of applications that I'm, I'm currently writing. Um, so the only t time I get to really use it is like contrived examples and tutorials. So I would just like to have a chance to, to use some of this stuff. Um, and maybe that's just, I need to rethink the way I'm, I'm building things, but yeah, I think you're right. Like it's not something that we've been doing. We, we've definitely shied away from these kind of large hierarchies of, of objects. Um, and, and, Trying to figure out what a type something is is not something a problem that I often encounter. But that being said, you can use switch expressions for all kinds of other stuff. So I want to do like a number within a range or whatever, or I want mm -hmm. to do um, mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is really kind of cool. A cool pattern is you have a couple of values that you want to switch on, and you wrap those in a tuple, and then you kind of unpack those in each case, and you mm -hmm. match on that. Um, and then you can have that optional, like an underscore, if you don't care about one of the values in a particular case. I think there's some really cool stuff you can do in those switch expressions. It's just some of the power that some functional languages have, I think, is, is just not, not quite there yet because we don't have those sort of enum types just yet. But I think yeah. it's cool, and I, think, and I really think it's, it's, I think it's good. It's a little bit... I was a little bit disappointed at first at the at the slow rollout of the feature because you mentioned that pattern matching has been seven, eight, and nine, and it's still going. And so I remember in, in C sharp seven, I was like, I want all of this right now. And they <laughs> they were saying at the time, they're like, we're gonna do this incrementally. We're trying to, you know, one, they're trying to know what works, um, but also they're just it's it's hard to do, and they don't want to just wait for several years before they release it all at once. And so mm -hmm. I've sort of come around to appreciating that approach, you know, like, okay, give me, give me what you got right now. And, and with the understanding that you're going to keep iterating on this, um, yeah. which actually I didn't, I did not have this in my list of things that uh, I actually wrote down. But um, I think one of the things that's nice about C sharp is the, um, and maybe this, maybe you could call this a bad thing too. So maybe we can talk about it. But one of the things that I think is cool is their their commitment to a yearly release cycle. Yeah. And and things are, you know, they really and that's just .net generally, but it's also C sharp. And so they're they're sort of incrementally doing stuff along the way as they go. And some things make it and some things don't, and they might push it a year and and they're and that ties back into how they're doing all this in the open. Um, it, it just seems like it's it's really well thought out right now, and it's really in, intentional and open, and I like that whole that whole thing about it. 
Um, yeah. Would you say you just dropped a lot of interesting thoughts? I don't know which one I want to latch onto, but um, let me just ask you this: Do you feel that we are in the golden age of C sharp right now? Um, it's kind of interesting to think that like it could be. 20 years in and after people have already declared .NET dead that we're, we're now in the best time to be a, a C-sharp developer? I think if I was starting like a, a new project, I would probably consider a few languages, to be honest. I might consider some more functional languages, but C-sharp would be high up on the list. And I think if I was doing Greenfield... I could do some really cool stuff, write what, you know, modern C sharp. Mm-hmm. I wonder, and this, I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder what it looks like in those shops where people have been writing the same C sharp code since 2005, you know, <laughs> right. maybe they picked it, maybe they picked up link when it came out, but that's where it ended, you know? Yeah, and they have style guides, or at least they have like the curmudgeons in the corner who don't want to do anything new. And I, I just wonder how how much how much that there is of that versus how many people are like, let's play with this new thing. Let's let's all let's turn on null reference type checking like like immediately and make it all errors and or something yeah. just for an example. Well, that's what happens when you have a language that, that spanned this much time and technology. I mean, think of all the revolutions that have happened since it first came out. It's really, you know, at least two languages, maybe even three kind of or periods of time. Um, you know, the first part where it was basically like the, the Java-like or Java competitor with a C, C++ um, history to it and, and just people wrote it as if it was that kind of language but in a managed runtime and then you kind of have a little bit of the more modern era uh, like 2010 or 2008 to 2017 maybe sort of the pre.net core days where some people adopted those newer features and then you have um, this kind of revolution that I feel like is, has happened in the last few years last four years I'd say um, yeah, it feels like three sort of languages or three periods, but all called C Sharp and .NET. That's really interesting. I wonder, it'd be interesting to think about that and do a little, um, it's an investigation. I, I know you and I offline have talked about uh, the Richard Campbell, the book he's writing about the history of .NET, which hopefully mm-hmm. will exist at some point. Um, <laughs> I've never written a book, so I imagine it's really hard. And I know, I know he's a really smart yeah. guy, busy guy. But um, I can't imagine writing a history book on something that is like evolving as rapidly as that, you know. But I, I'd be I'd be curious to see if that sort of calls out some of those stages. I, I suspect it will, but. I think you're right. Like there was the kind of pre-link, and then there was if I if I was measuring it, it would be everything before Link, which I think you you called exactly right. Was that we're Java front of the Microsoft platform, and then Link took off, and it was this whole other thing, and then .NET Core, probably from .NET Core till now, I would put in the same box, or maybe C Sharp six when was C Sharp six when the Roslyn was first uh, introduced. So they rewrote, so. The, rewrote the compiler in C sharp. That that maybe that was the turning point, and it was related to .NET Core, but not exactly the same thing. You also had all kinds of things going on on the internet. Uh, you know, developers were starting to really speak to each other. Uh, Stack Overflow, the Stack Overflow influence, and people were saying, um, you know, don't have one method that's 500 lines long. You know, think about your patterns. And so you had these things that weren't really C Sharp or .NET. It was more general programming advice making its way into uh, or towards the C Sharp developer, which maybe has been a little bit more cloistered than um, other, you know, than the Ruby community or the Python community. Um, so there was things going on outside that, that made their way to the C-sharp culture, I think, that also affected it. I think that that use of the term cloistered, I really like that. I like the idea of sort of, you know, these C-sharp developers taking vows of silence and wearing hair shirts and <laughs> just miserable all the time. And, uh, but yeah. but for, the, for the good, you know, they know everything. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I have, I have no idea about you know, people who are actually cloistered and what that's like, but I have this sort of mental image of it. Um, 
Yeah, I think that that's right. It's this sort of we're off in our own world. And that's what I was saying earlier. I have this fear that that that's still there, that these folks are just kind of the 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 term I think we've used before on this show, dark matter dark matter developer. So they're out there, they're getting work done, they're fine, but they're not really interested in the new stuff. They the code that they wrote in 2005 worked then, and I don't know why it won't work today, right? That sort of thing. Right. Um, so I hopefully, and I do think that there is a, a, a growth and a change, and I think the change has been slow, but it's been happening in the C-sharp community. And I think making it, you know, one of the other features that I would call out about C-sharp and why it's really cool is that it's cross-platform. And I think that was... It was clearly a conscious move to make it something that would appeal to a broader audience. And I think that was a great idea. You know, mm-hmm. people, like you go to a dev conference back in the day when we used to leave the house. You go to a dev conference and there's tons of Macs everywhere. And that's that's just what you see. And that's what the Microsoft folks saw. And they're like, you know, these people are not writing C Sharp. And, and that was, you know, before .NET Core. Um, yeah. And so I think making it cross-platform helped a lot. I think you know being able to run it on on their Linux um, machine or running a Docker container or something really easily made you know brought in a whole new a whole new crowd of folks who are more interested in keeping up, who are really not cloistered off somewhere, who are out there in the world, you know, living life. Um, and so yeah, I think I think it's it's grown. And it's it's like the language and the community is is growing and getting better because of that. And yeah. maybe that last third wave or whatever we're in, the third age of C sharp is better for that. It, it feels like we have a good trajectory, um, you know, for at least for the foreseeable future. I do like this, like you mentioned, the yearly uh, cadence for releases. It's predictable. I mean, it helps me in my position where I do have to think about, okay, what's the enterprise support scenario? You know, how do we embrace this for the long term and make sure it's the right thing? We don't want to just install every new update. Um, so, So I like that, but it also just feels exciting. It feels like there's some energy and... Um, I hope that's apparent from the outside. You know, I, I want, um, to be under, and I want to look at what other communities are doing and I'd like other communities to look at C sharp and say, Hey, they're, they're doing some exciting things that that looks fun to be a C sharp developer. So that actually brings up a question in my mind that is sort of tangential to one of the things I really like about C sharp. When you're talking about support, how as the architect and the decider uh, for a lot of things, um, which is your role, right? What um, do you will you only consider .NET long term support versions, or are you considering something like .NET five right now? Yeah, so so right now we are only going to consider LTS versions of .NET. Um, I think from a security model and just an update model, um, at least the way we run things on-prem right now, the LTS versions make the most sense. And I kind of like that, that Microsoft makes these big leaps every other version. So .NET 3 was a big leap, .NET 5 was a big leap, and now .NET 6 will, will it'll still be impressive what they get in there, but it won't be as big of a leap as .NET 3 to .NET 5 was. So yeah, I think only considering LTS versions uh, in the future, when maybe we're using more platform as a service type things, maybe we'll we'll care a little less about what the uh, runtime version is. Uh, Obviously, you know, yeah, that precludes any like testing to make sure (laughs) our applications work with that version. But um, yeah, I think that that is that's kind of like the prudent thing for us to, to be doing right now. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so you'll get some of the .NET 5 features in November or whenever next year when you move to .NET 6 because that will be a long-term support version, right? <laughs> yep. So one of the features that I really like, I think I like Unreasonably much, 
um, of, of C Sharp 9, so something that's only available. I think this is only available in .NET 5. You might be able to... I know there's some things you can kind of make work in .NET 3 or .NET Core 3.1 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, with a little little hack, a little trick. Yeah. I don't know that that would be something that you would really want to do in your production applications, but uh, right. I might be able to make it work. <laughs> um, uh, the feature that I really like is top-level statements. Yeah. I think it's awesome, too. But tell me why you like it. I... You know, I have on, a, on occasion, uh, you know, regularly, a few times a year, I have a need to write some little script that does something. So maybe it, um, one that comes to mind is I had um, this project I was working on. I had um, this website had a bunch of images on it. It was some timeline that we had built for this uh, uh, church thing I was doing. And so it was a timeline of pictures over of... Uh, from the time that the minister had been there, right? Mm-hmm. And and the, that website had an API that you could download the images because we wanted to make some kind of, some sort of digital book or whatever that, that she could have and take with her because she was retiring at the time. So she's retiring. We want all these pictures to come down. And so I, I needed to write some sort of script that would basically download all those images and generate an HTML file uh, that referred to all the images, and you know, put there was some text involved. It was just a couple of things you had to do to make something that was, you know, not frankly not didn't look that great, but at least had all the pictures in it. I'm not, I'm not a designer, um, and so it's just a script that I was going to run one time and then throw away. And my tool of choice for those kind of scripts, and this was the case then because this was several months ago, uh, my tool of choice is Python for that. Because I just sit down, and there's something about just sitting down and just writing code right there in the, an empty text editor that will do the thing, mm-hmm. you know. And I, you know, there's really the reason I say it's kind of unreasonable. I kind of unreasonably like it is because you could totally do that before in C sharp eight. You could take a program.cs or whatever some the uh, some main method, and you could just you know you could even like put a bunch of blank lines in there and spread it out and not even look at the top and the bottom of the file and just start writing code. And that would include writing functions because you could write in, you know, um, the local functions. Um, I don't think that's what they're called. What are they called? The in, in local method function. What are those things? Yeah. You, yeah. Local, local function. I always get that confused. Anyway, lo- you could write local functions and so you could do the whole thing, but there's just something about, all that that wrapper that you know the class the namespace that comes in when you make a default project the main method itself um, there's just something that that kept prevented me there's just like like I was a mental block and I'm like I, you know what I'm just gonna use Python and yeah. I, and I think there's really no reason to do that like now that we have top level functions I have written a couple of scripts that were kind of like that in C sharp that were literally like six lines shorter than they would have been in the old day. <laughs> but somehow yeah. it was more like it was more inviting to me. It just felt more natural. It just felt right to do it that way as a, as a script, as a top level script. Um, yeah. I think it's brilliant for students, you know, newcomers that just want to, um, as you've put it before, kind of that low ceremony, you don't want to, you just want to get in, do the thing. You don't want to like have to understand, well, why do I have to wrap this in a namespace? Like, what am I, what am I even doing? Um, so I think it's, it's great that they've introduced that. I, I hope that, um, I'm not, I'm, this might actually be a feature now, but I don't think it is, but I would like to see them even get rid of the need for a CS proj file and just be able to .NET run a, uh, a CS file, um, without the kind of even initial setup, you know, just, just let me open up and, and do a top level statement and be able to .NET run. And there's like an implicit CS proj file, uh, that, that sort of gets generated in the background. Well, I have a couple of things to say to that one. I have this, the class that I'm teaching now, I'm teaching a C sharp class at the moment. And we use top level statements for the, the beginning of C sharp. So the first, Really, it was only the first week or so. I was kind of experimenting with it. I'd never done it before, so we 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 
use top level statements. I think it it had it was very successful. Um, you know, the ability so you take students who have come from JavaScript and now they're moving to C sharp. Um, being able to just write functions that even though this you know you have return types and the strong typing is always throws them off that's enough already right but just being able to write functions in there and call those functions um just and just write code at the top of the file that will execute all that stuff like i really do feel like it was a lot more inviting and a lot less off-putting to the students and for people who've been doing C sharp or any kind of programming for a long time where you, you know where you're forced to have you know a class at the top so java java would be another example right like i think it's easy to it's it's easy to forget or to to ignore that ceremony or that line noise that you can see that stuff that gets in the way the syntactic noise that's there and as an instructor i've had to tell people like i know it says you know, static void main string square brackets args, right? Just <laughs> ignore that. Right. <laughs> you know, just, just don't worry about that. And I and not having to say that, because yeah, that freed up my time, but it also just freed up their sort of cognitive burden, some of the the load that they have to weigh they have to wear. Right, just um, that initial hurdle, like. Why? I don't understand. <laughs> what is this for? And you can tell them to ignore it. And even if they sort of consciously ignore it, they really don't ignore it. Yeah, It's always there waiting, just kind of whispering in their ear like, I, you don't understand this, what's going on, right? right. Um, and and we, I sort of was really conservative about it this time. So it was only a few, couple weeks in, maybe not even a couple weeks, I think a week in or maybe a little bit more than a week that we switched over to doing um, a main method. And I, it, But by that time, I had already given them a, you know some time to internalize some of the other things about C sharp so I, I think they were kind of ready to see that I'm like well you know in the real in the future when you do an application you're gonna most things are gonna have this structure um, so I'm thinking something like a .NET core or an ASP.NET core project has a main um, that it builds for you and I don't know what the future of that is but right now that's what it does um, also the other side of that or another aspect of that was when you do a .NET new console even in .NET 5 it still generates that program class and the namespace and the main method so in order mm-hmm. for me to tell them to do top level statements the first thing I had to tell them was delete all that mm, yeah and so that's it, a good point it was there for a moment and then so they knew it was there and so I had to address it relatively quickly you know, students don't get freaked out about it if they if they can't see it. You know, as soon as they delete it, they kind of forgot that it was ever there, so it's not that big a deal. Um, but but I, it was something I knew I had to address. Um, yeah, I think maybe our friends in Redmond um, that we know are listening, they should consider that's that change. Um, either put it behind a flag, or maybe even make the default of of .NET new to be uh, just a simple, you know, top level statement is all that's in the uh, C sharp file that gets generated. I think that would be cool. Um, I don't, I don't know if that, I don't, I, I wonder if that would become the norm. You know, I wonder if people would just mostly end up going back and rewriting all that anyway. Um, Cause maybe you want that. I, you know, I, I guess it's a fair question. Like, do you want to have a main method in a larger application? And, you know, I guess I'm inclined to think that, yes, I think I do. In the world of today where basically top-level statements are only valid in one file in your project, mm-hmm. and that's where your main is, and it's sort of written, it's a little bit, ha- it's kind of a hack, but it's also kind of a cool hack where they just literally just add all that, that ceremony boilerplate in, um, so, and they just kind of wrap all the code you write in there inside of a main method and then ship it, right? That's exactly uh, the kind of language features I want that the language is smart enough to know and be able to add the necessary ceremony. Like, let me just get down to the business of, of what my domain needs or what I'm trying to get this application to do. That that's I want more of that. It does have some repercussions, though, that are sort of interesting. And 
we were kind of, I guess, running the risk of making this a top-level statements episode at this point. But it's kind of interesting to me because um, you cannot, for example, you can't create a new class or what you might want to do in a top-level, um, you're more likely to want to do in a, a top-level statement world is create a record type. You can't create that at the top. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the compiler's not smart enough to sort of move it out of the way of the main method. Because you can't create a new record inside of a method, you're, and the way that the top-level statements are implemented is wrapping it all in a method, the, the rule is you have to put it below all the code. So if you put it at the bottom, it's smart enough to kind of move that out of the way of the method, like put the curly brace in the right place. But if you put it at the top, at least right now, it's not smart enough to deal with that. So what that what that ends up meaning is if you're if you're doing that for a long time and you're starting to build, you know, um, records or classes or doing things that don't go inside of a method, you kind of have to know how it works. You know, you have to have an intuition or an understanding of how that feature was implemented in order to know what this error message means, in order to understand what's going on. So yeah, it's a little, can, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you want to do that just forever. Like, I don't, maybe if you have a more complex application, it's better to just have a main method. I can see that. I, I've seen some implementations of uh, ASP.NET Core applications that they use top level statements, and it's, it's incredibly terse. And I think I, I just want to see more of that. I do. I really love the idea of. C sharp of maybe extending that feature into other files Mm -hmm. so that we can maybe have the concept of something like a module maybe in C sharp. Hmm. And this sort of gets to another one of the points that I wanted to make about, and I don't know that we'll get to all of them, but, but one of the other points I wanted to make is that C sharp is a multi paradigm language. It's often, I think, and and reasonably so called an object oriented language. But one of those turning points, that link turning point, I think, was sort of the beginning of it becoming something other than an object-oriented language or something that was not only an object-oriented language. So So were you drawing a distinction between multi-paradigm and general purpose? Yes, I am. So when I talk about multi-paradigm, I'm talking about like object-oriented versus functional versus procedural, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, General purpose is another thing that's awesome. Um, but that's not what I mean. Uh, well, it, but it's really not object oriented versus functional. It's like object oriented and functional. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I love the ability to kind of mix the two. Yes. And that's exactly what I'm saying. I, I think that's a, a powerful feature and it certainly leans on the object oriented side. That's where its roots are. That's where it was born. And I don't think that will ever really change. And I don't know that it should change. Um, but having some of the more functional features are, is really mm-hmm. is really nice. And, and like I said, Link, I think, started that whole, you know, the ability to write sort of really terse data transformations that Link gives you. Is, yeah, it's very terse link. but obvious, right? Like that's what I love about Link is like it is a, sh- a smaller amount of code, but it is so clean and obvious, usually. I mean, you can obviously write disgusting link that, that no one can read. But I, I feel like m- more often than not, it comes out clear um, and and small enough that someone can just look at it and just know, almost without reading it, hey, I know what this is doing. I see the where. I see the order by. I, I, I get the sense of what it's doing. Like, intuitively, I can move on. Yeah, for sure. I think that's great. I I will take some some issue with the names of the methods. <laughs> All right. Uh, pick, pick two. Um, I think select should be called map like it is in literally every yeah. other language. And <laughs> I mean, I get the idea of Link was let's make this friendly for people who live in SQL, do SQL mm-hmm. things. Um, I guess I just don't buy that that was that big a deal. Like learning these more standard method names or function mm-hmm. names or what, or how are you, it's implemented. Like 
map and and filter are the, the ones that come to mind immediately but maybe even something like reduce you know you know how many, how often do you want to write the aggregate method right, right. <laughs> yes uh, embarrassingly i i, I some have sometimes have trouble spelling it <laughs> no, thank, thank goodness for intellisense <laughs> me too like I would not, it it's too long and it's got too many g's in it Right. And, and I don't it's, want that. It's it's so useful, yet it is. I totally agree on that one. That's uh, not the best name for that one. But you know, it was that I get the i I get the idea. I just don't buy that it was actually that big a deal to yeah. not use the traditional. But but Link itself. I mean that that's the only kind of nitpick I have. Um, mm. Link itself is great, and some of the other sort of. Like pattern matching, we've already talked about that, making it a little more functional. The switch expression and the is magic operator that, that pattern matches now. Um, I, I think that's some more multi, you know, uh, multi-paradigm approach. And the idea of having top-level statements across the code base, I think, opens you up, again, to not doing, I mean, literally not doing object-oriented programming. So writing procedural code or writing more purely functional code with just writing functions. Um, and I don't know, I, I, you know, that's again, I've talked about Python all the time. That's one of the things I really like about it. I like that about JavaScript. I can just write a module that's this file and I can import this file and I get functions out of it. You know, I don't yeah. have to instantiate anything when I don't need that state. I don't have to build like some static class that has right. a bunch of static functions. Every literally every time I build a static class in C sharp, I feel guilty. I feel like I'm not doing this right. You know, I'm like <laughs> I'm supposed to be creating an instance and you know using dependency injection to to insert it into my code. And what if I need to test? What if I need to change it out? I don't I don't know. But I really just need this function <laughs> to do this thing, and why do I need anything else? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a there's a mismatch, and maybe that's a, some of that's a mismatch between my preferences and my style of programming and, and objects oriented programming in general. Um, uh, and so that's my own problem, I guess. But I would love yep. to see a world where top level statements was was multiple files, and I think that would be a real sea change in the way that people could write C sharp. And then it'll be good. Like the idea you could, you know, when it's right to write classes, which it often is, I'm not dismissing that, then you write classes. When it isn't, you can just write functions. That's basically what I'm looking for. So there's one topic we didn't get to that I'm, I'm going to speculate um, is on your list. It's on my list and that's exceptions. Um, so I think we could probably have a whole show on exceptions and exception handling and and what your preference is, what my preference is. So let's maybe uh, end our list there, and we'll, we'll pick it up on some of those more specific topics another time. So I have exceptions under a heading on my list of, of uh, question marks, because I don't know if they're good or bad about C-sharp. <laughs> they're both. Um, a, a little tease for a future show. They're, they're both, in my opinion. Um, Can I say one thing that I don't like about C-sharp, the more modern features, really quick? Yeah, you're going to poison the well here. You've, you've, oh, no, you've I, no, go, no, come on. I've been coding for 20 years. You don't expect some curmudgeon knee. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, no, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you're waiting to the end of the show here to mention it, but yeah, hit this, us with it. And this is really not the thing I did. This, the, my biggest <laughs> problem is just the first one that came to my mind. The fact that tuples exist is awesome. The fact that they're mutable is terrible. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Tuples have an interesting story in C sharp. Um, yeah, I I actually don't even use them. I really just kind of avoid tuples altogether. I'm I'm not such a fan. So I'm not I'm not surprised that you have you take issue with them. I mean, I I think that 
tuples are really cool. I think the fact that in C sharp you can sort of like name the properties in tuples really easily, even though yeah. it sort of it makes the type signature a little long. I think it's cool that you can do that. Um, you can pass. You know, I like being able to return more than one thing. I don't. I don't think that's crazy. Um, I like I like that trick that I mentioned earlier where you use it. You wrap something in a tuple to use it in a switch expression or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's cool that you can swap two variables with tuple stuff. I don't know how useful that is, but I like it as a thing. Like, I don't need a third variable anymore. I was literally taught in school, there's no way to swap two variables without a third one. Don't need it anymore. <laughs> right. I just think that's cool. Um, I just I don't think, I would love, to, they're introducing all these functional things in a language. They are thinking about immutability more. Like, I think, when you do tuples, you should have just made them immutable. Just to be done with it. So that's all. All right. Well, um, just want to remind everyone to write us in. Write, tell us what your favorite C-sharp feature is um, or, or something maybe you don't like about it. And we will read it on air. So uh, that is RefCountPodcast on Twitter and RefCountPodcast at gmail.com. So... Thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Until next time.